from the beginning, I had the the idea that I wanted to open my own place, and everybody said, "Don't do it. It's the biggest financial risk." And they were absolutely right. It is the biggest financial risk, and there's an extremely good chance you're just going to go bankrupt trying to open your own restaurant. But I wanted to. Yeah, the seafood game, I always say, is just incredibly fun to play, but you got to play it every day. I, I put a lot of myself and personality and everything behind food. I don't just say, well, you know, we, we got restaurants and, you know, I'll, I'll walk away and, and not really care that much. I, I care about every one of them and I, I want everybody to be happy. It's the Culinary School Podcast presented by the Culinary School of Fort Worth. Here's your host, James Creange. All right, welcome to the inaugural episode of the Culinary Podcast. I'm your host, James Creange. Today I'm joined by Fort Worth legend in the culinary community, John Bunnell. John is known for his fine dining restaurants, Bunnell's and Waters, as well as his pizza and wings place, Buffalo Bros, that any TCU student listening to this podcast will surely know. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, glad to be here. And of course, it is Wingin' Wednesday over at Buffalo Bros. <laughs> yeah, I uh, actually plan on eating there later today, so <laughs> it's the best day of the week. You uh, too? <laughs> so I want to start off this interview uh, just talking a little bit about how you got started professionally. Um, and I want to ask you, you originally went to school um, to be a teacher, and you ended up teaching in Dallas for a little bit of time, right? What? Yep. What? I was an education major at uh, Vanderbilt University. They had the number one education department um, in the nation back when I graduated in 94. I know it sounds like a really long time ago, right? <laughs> I was born in 95. So I, I was a teacher right out of school. I really enjoyed it. I, I taught middle school and high school math and science, um, kind of biology, anatomy, um, algebra, that kind of stuff. And then I kind of had a change of heart one summer. I couldn't handle three months off straight out of college. You, you remember what that was like when you got launched out of college? It's like getting kicked out of heaven. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. What What am I going to do with three months? I, I got nothing to do and, and, and nobody not to do it with anymore. <laughs> and so I started uh, kind of soul searching for what is it I really want to do. And I, I realized at the time that all I ever thought about was was cooking and food. And it, I just had one of those kind of V8 moments. Aha, this is what I need to be doing. The Food Network had just started, and uh, like the essence of Emerald was just getting going. I was watching the Great Chef series, and I was cooking all the time. So somebody mentioned culinary school, and I just dove in and never looked back. Um, I was 25 at the time, and I uh, went to culinary school at the New England Culinary Institute up in Vermont. Um, interviewed at a few schools, picked that one. Studied there, uh, went to New Orleans for a while, chefed around till I felt like I knew enough to get my own place going. So what, what were those early days like in the kitchen for you um, when you were transitioning from being a teacher into uh, a chef? You know, was that difficult for you being thrown into the fire like that? Oh, absolutely. But I really I love a challenge. I like the idea of going in and being totally unsure and scared and just jumping in and giving it a shot. I got a job at a restaurant in Dallas called Mediterraneo, and it was a super fancy, nice place associated with the Riviera. Chef David Holman had a national reputation. He had three different restaurants and all I was doing was plating up desserts. I mean, we're not talking about a lot. I'm, I'm just reading the tickets, plating desserts, and I was terrified every day. And I watched all the guys next to me, one guy on the grill, putting out 300 pieces of meat, temperature specific. The next guy's got 10 saute pans going at once. I just looked around like, okay, these this band of pirates and, and what they do is just the most fascinating, intriguing, and I, I got to figure out how to do all this stuff. It was awesome. Tell me a little bit about your experience uh, opening your friend's restaurant, Escargo, and the things you learned during that process that helped you open your own restaurants. 
Sure. From the, from the beginning, I had the the idea that I wanted to open my own place, and everybody said, "Don't do it. It's the biggest financial risk." And they were absolutely right. It is the biggest financial risk, and there's an extremely good chance you're just going to go bankrupt trying to open your own restaurant. But I wanted to. So along the way, um, cooking at different places, a friend of mine, Frédéric Angevin, a nice Frenchman, <laughs> really good chef uh, here in Fort Worth for a long time, um, decided to open his place, uh, Escargot. And it was over on West 7th uh, next to Michael's. And he said, uh, I need some help. And I said, honestly, Frederick, you can, you can have me pretty cheap. I will help you as much as possible as long as you show me every single thing you're doing from the entire opening. So we did everything from... Uh, get out the circular saws and cut tables and build furniture to put the restaurant equipment together. I mean, we did we did everything from, from sweat labor all the way up to opening. There were just two of us cooking in the kitchen. And small restaurant, it lasted a few years. Um, really great experience for me. We were cooking his food. Very, very French and lots of, lots of fun ideas. I wasn't getting my education there as far as flavors go because I was going a different direction, more kind of southwestern. But as far as how to run a restaurant and really count on somebody when there's only two people in the kitchen, no, nobody calls sick. Uh, so now that you've had these multiple appearances on national TV, you've cooked at the James Beard house. Uh, you're a very recognizable name in Fort Worth. How humbling is it for you to look back on those early days? And when I, when I look back and think about how terrified I was just before service, when we're only going to serve 30 people, I think, man, you know, what, what was I thinking? We've, we've obviously bitten off uh, more than we can chew a time or two here and there, but I, I mean, we cook for 6,000 at the TCU stadium. Or it, It's funny when I think back to just how nervous I got about, man, I hope they like this special tonight. Only eight people are going to order it. But at the same time, I look back and if I didn't have that passion, that fear, that, you know, that drive, then I'd probably would have washed out of the industry. A lot of people are just going through the motions and you know, you don't, you don't stick with a job when you're just coming in and you know, time to make the donuts. But that fear and that I want to make sure this is right. I I can't wait until somebody tries a dish and turns around and says, Hey, this was great. You, you just made our anniversary. That's, that's the crack that keeps me going. I love it. So you had mentioned um, you wanted to kind of go with a more Southwestern style for your first restaurant and you were kind of a pioneer, at least in this area, of the farm-to-table type restaurant. Um, how did you come up with that concept, and, and why were you so ahead of your time on that? It all came down to uh, where I got my education and, and the way I grew up eating. My parents are both really good cooks. My dad is the uh, very Texan, seat-of-your-pants kind of guy. He'd rather uh, try, to, try to cook a whole pig or just experiment. And we grew up hunting and fishing, so there's always wild game in the mix. My mother could cook anything if it was in a book. She could cook classical French, high degree of difficulty, but if it was in a book, she could copy it. So I learned from them, and we got to we got to travel. When I was a kid, I got to eat at cool restaurants, and I didn't realize how valuable that was until later. And the stuff that really stuck out in my mind, everybody always says, you know, what, what's your what's your favorite gumbo or what's your favorite dish? And you always say, well, the one my mom made, the one my grandma made, because you know those impressions when you're young are what stick with you, and that that's what feels like home. It's what takes you back to a time in your life when things were safe and things were good. Um, Southwestern cuisine is something I always love. The Tex-Mex flavors, a little bit of the the Western thing, some wild game. Uh, you know, our neighbors to the east, a little Louisiana stuff. All those the memories to me are great, and that's the cuisine that that just kind of always grabs me by the heart. So it's it's no uh, accident that I opened up a wild game restaurant and a seafood restaurant, you know. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the seafood restaurant. That's another thing. I mean, Fort Worth's not known for its seafood, obviously. And, uh, you know, how how did you come up with that concept and decide, you know, I think this is going to work in, in a town like this? That's funny. The, the concept for Waters, we opened about five years ago. And the reason we opened it is that everybody kept saying, yeah, there's no good seafood in this town. I said, well, that that's a problem. We, we were doing at least one or two seafood specials a day at Bonnell's, and they were some of our best sellers ever. And yet, if you ask people, where's the best seafood in town, they started naming steakhouses. And I thought, you know what? There is there is a hole in the market for nice seafood. We, we do inexpensive seafood just fine. We've got lots of uh, papados and flying fish, and there's some really good places at the low price point. But for fine dining, you know, fly it in fresh, really nice fine dining fish, there, there wasn't a lot. So we decided that, you know, it's... It's one of those things that I've been passionate about forever. Again, grew up hunting and fishing, and I didn't realize that not everybody could name every species of salmon. And, <laughs> you know, every time someone says that's white fish, I'm like, there's no way that's white fish. No, what actually is it? <laughs> I didn't know I was a fish nerd until it was too late. Yeah. So tell, tell me about that, flying the fish in, and, and you're working. I know one of the groups you work with is kind of they own their own small boat and go out and catch crabs and – like, uh, you know, what's that like for you to provide that real fresh quality here in Fort Worth? Yeah, the seafood game, I always say, is just incredibly fun to play, but you got to play it every day. When I talk to my steak guy, he still has ribeyes, and he still has tenderloins, and he still has strips. The price may go up and down, and maybe there's some different programs, but it's the same game every day. When I call my fish guys, and I've got a lot of them, you call the fish guy, and it's a different story every hour. We like to focus on wild, seasonal, and sustainable seafood. I don't want the farm-raised stuff coming out of Bangladesh or Indonesia. I don't want the stuff that's the cheapest possible out there. There's a different place in the market for that. We try to get seasonal, wild, sustainable, so you got to talk to fishermen. And, man, it's great. I usually deal with brokers. And, uh, for example, uh, Monday this week, I was talking with uh, Josh out of Seafoods.com. It's a, it's a broker in, in Florida that I use quite a bit. And he said, oh, i got to tell you, the Lynn family, these guys are coming in. They're going to make FedEx cutoff time. They've been out for two days, and they are loaded up with red snapper. They got black grouper. Um, they may have caught a cobia. I got to check and make sure they didn't sell it yet. So when I find that we've got a family-operated boat that only went out for two days, and their boat's going to be sold by the time they get back to dock, and I can get fish from shore to door in under 24 hours, that's what we target. So every time I call the seafood guy, I got a different story. We got an incredible group uh, coming out of New Zealand. Their waters are clean. They've got abundant seafood. It's really kind of different and exotic. Every fish in the world is just one plane ride away from here. So we don't, we don't charter a plane. The idea that you fly something in, I'm, I'm not calling bush pilots and, you know, having <laughs> fly us our own, you know, one salmon in a passenger seat, but you can, you can imagine how fast fish can get somewhere just based on air traffic. Uh, do you find that uh, customers really enjoy that there's always something different on the menu, or do you ever get complaints that, you know, why isn't my favorite fish or seafood on the menu? That's right. The, the two biggest complaints we have are, uh, why don't you have this dish? It was my favorite, and how come I never see anything new, right? <laughs> so it, it's, it's a game you have to play, and we, we try to do the best we can. On, on the Bonnell's menu, the left side of the page is all classics that will never change. They're dishes that have been so popular that I can get year-round. I can get redfish year-round because it comes from a really high-quality aqua farm uh, down in Galveston. Um, I have buffalo tenderloin that we can get every day. That stays the same. The right side of the page is all seasonal and specials that we can keep being creative, keep coming up with new stuff. So if you're a regular and you want to keep seeing something new, 
flip to the right page. If you like the Buffalo Tenderloin and you're never going to order anything else, that's always there. So we try to we try to play that balance the best we can, but you know, you you can't please everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. Um, we'll so, keep trying. Yeah. <laughs> so we've talked about your fine dining um, in Benel's and Waters. Let's talk a little bit about Buffalo Bros. And you know, you talk about your creativity with Waters. Where did that creativity come in to open this wings and pizza place when you've got these fine dining restaurants? Oh, this has been one of the most fun projects ever. So my my business partner, Ed McCohen, he's a chef as well. He went to the um, Culinary Institute of America. I went to the New England Culinary, you know, good good rival schools. <laughs> he's the chef who says, keep me in the kitchen. I don't want to have to talk to anybody. And I say, great, I'll go talk to everybody. And we've been putting concepts together for a long time. And he's a part owner in all the restaurants. He's from Buffalo. And one day he said, you know, if anybody in this town ever did decent wings, I mean, even decent wings, we could make a killing. I said, what are you talking about? There's, there's wing joints everywhere. He's like, not, not even remotely good wing joints. So he made some buffalo wings one day, and everybody said, okay, I, I get it. There's a difference. You know, using fresh wings, using really high-quality product. Bar food is not that hard to do, but you got to start with good ingredients instead of just buying the, the cheap frozen garbage. So I said, all right, let's, uh, let's start looking. What do we want to call it? And everybody always thought we were brothers. Everybody always asked, oh, you guys brothers? You opened this restaurant together? And so the Buffalo Brothers, Buffalo Bros became uh, the concept, pizza, wings, and subs. And let's see, we opened a little over a year ago, November. So I, I graduated from TCU last year, frequented Buffalo Bros a lot. And uh, I told everyone that you guys were two brothers from Buffalo. So this is news to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's working. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so P- Fort Worth Magazine published an article a few years ago that called you the most loved chef in Fort Worth. Um, and it's really, it's not hard to find high praise of you on the internet. Uh, a lot of great reviews. However, uh, not everyone's going to like you. Um, when you go into the industry, you know not everyone's going to like your foods. You're going to get some negative feedback. How do you deal with that negative criticism? That's, that's one of the hardest things for me personally because um, I, I, I put a lot of myself and personality and everything behind food. I don't just say, well, you know, we, we got restaurants and, you know, I'll, I'll walk away and, and not really care that much. I, I care about every one of them and I, I want everybody to be happy. When people start writing things about you, especially, you know, when it gets to social media or, you know, or a critic comes in, I mean, knock wood, luckily we've been very fortunate overall um, in the press, but I, I got a review one time that was one of the worst reviews I've ever read. And of course it was the opening review for waters that we had just gotten going and it was in the Dallas morning news. So the biggest critic and the biggest paper absolutely told us that we were horrible. And I, that was extremely difficult to take. You do have to grow a thick skin in the industry. Um, not everybody's going to like you and that's hard to, wrap your head around. I, I put all this effort into this dish. All these people are working so hard to try to make this right. And somebody's going to turn around and make fun of it. Somebody's going to turn around and just make a joke about it. And that's, that's really hard to do. If you stop caring and you, and you, you get, I mean, growing a thick skin is one thing, but if you say, you know what, I, never mind, I don't even care about people anymore, then, then you're not trying. So I do still take everything personally. I want to hear the comments, whether <laughs> some, some days, Maybe more than others, but I really do want to hear the comments. I want to know when people have a good experience, but especially when they have a bad experience so we can try to overcome it, try to fix what the problem is. Um, that's a part of the industry that, that never goes away. And when you have a critic like that, um, do you 
do you ever reach out and try to have a conversation and say, you know, I'd love to know why you were thinking this and, and see what you could learn from that? I reached out to her directly and she called my cell phone and I said, did something happen when you were at the restaurant? Was it really that bad? And she's very candidly said, no, that's my shtick. You don't read my blog? I, I'll be honest. I, I never heard of your name until today. I don't, I don't read food columns. I don't read the, the newspapers anymore. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of busy. I, you know, I hadn't taken a paper in forever. So she said that I really hammer chefs. That's, I mean, you're going to be fine. Don't worry. Look at a lot of the comments. A lot of people said, oh, no, he's, he's good. I've, I've had a good experience there. So don't worry about it. You'll be fine. I said, yeah, but you just you just crapped all over my work. And, you know, the business literally just started dying off in a huge hurry. We were able to come back from it. That was, you know, almost five, uh, four and a half years ago. Um, restaurant's still going and doing just fine, and she doesn't work there anymore. <laughs> uh, so, you know, kind of along the same uh, vein, uh, chefs are often cast in this negative light, um, whether it's that they're egomaniacs or they're jerks, like you look at Gordon Ramsay and a lot of people on the Food Network, and they come across as jerks. And I think that's probably the most prevailing stereotype in the industry. And you're a real nice guy. How do you fight against that stereotype? That's a good point. And the reputation that chefs have is screaming and yelling and, and being egomaniacs and you know, running a kitchen like they're like they're a general and, uh, you know, harassing people is deserved. Every bit of that is true that kitchens have been like that for a long time. If you ever read Anthony Bourdain's book, Kitchen Confidential, that's that's pretty accurate, right on stuff. Personally, I had a, a point in the in the kitchen that I was emotionally broken down. It was by one of my culinary instructors. It was a European chef. I'm not trying to name names, but I I was so broken down. I kind of did this. Wait a second. That's this can't be what the industry's like. I, I can't imagine that I want to be the guy that turns around and belittles everybody just for the sport of it. And when we opened Bonnell's originally, our, our flagship, I set out to say, you know what, we're going to be better than this. Yes, there are going to be high stress moments and somebody might shout here and there, but we spend more time with our coworkers than with our family sometimes. We at least owe everybody respect from the dishwasher on up. It doesn't matter. Everybody needs to treat each other with respect. And we try to run a bit of a different kitchen. It really hurts me to see what Gordon Ramsay's reputation has done. I've heard the guy's incredibly nice. I, I, I met him one time just briefly at a, at a triathlon race. He seems like a polite guy, but the persona that he's created as his TV character on Hell's Kitchen of just screaming, yelling, throwing food all over your chef jacket and... I can't stand it, and I'm working as hard as I can to try to change the industry one kitchen at a time that, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. There are other ways to put good food out than to belittle people and scream and yell. Yeah, and I, I think that's great, and I think it probably, you know, creates a new generation of chefs, too, from the people that work under you. Um, and they see sure this is so. a way you could you could run a kitchen. So I want to begin wrapping this up and uh, just ask you a little bit, of, a few questions about your life outside of the kitchen. Um, and I want to ask you, how hard is it for you to even have a life outside of the restaurant's demanding hours? I mean, you guys are open every night, so. L life? What, what, I, I don't, <laughs> I'm not familiar with that. No, it, it, that the balance in this industry is definitely the hardest thing because, you know, the busiest times are your holidays, your weekends, and that's, you know, I've got two kids also, wife and two kids and family time, and everybody wants to do stuff Friday and Saturday night. That's when I'm almost guaranteed to be working. Balance is hard, and this weekend is the Fort Worth Food and Wine Festival. I know I'm not going to see the family for several days. It's a great time for the industry. It's a great time for work, but 
I constantly struggle between trying to figure out how to stay in shape and stay healthy, how to make sure the restaurants are doing well, and that we're taking care of business every bit we can, and that the family doesn't think dad uh, went on a vacation when I'm actually just working. It's it's a very difficult part of the industry. That that balance uh, is, is never something that you say, oh, I've got it figured out. Here's the formula. It's a daily struggle. As you've gotten older and more established in the industry, have you been able to take a little bit more time off, or do you find that you're working even more now? Uh, yes and no. I, I do get to take more time off. Um, having three different restaurants, nobody knows where I'm going to be, when I'm going to be. I don't set a schedule, and I do that on purpose. They never know if I'm walking through the door in five minutes or if I won't be there for a day or two. I bounce around from the restaurants like crazy, back and forth as much as possible. I swear I've almost funded that tollway, the Chisholm Trail myself, going between Bonnells <laughs> and Waters. But since they don't know if I'm coming, since they don't know when I'm supposed to be there, there's a very good excuse for, oh, no, chef's not here. He's probably at the other one. I might be at the daddy-daughter dance. It's an easier way having more than one restaurant to be able to sneak some family time without getting caught. When I had one restaurant, customers might, I mean, from time to time would get irate. What do you mean he's not here? It says Bonnell's on the door. This is his place. What do you mean he's not here? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little easier for, for people to understand now, but taking time off is something I, I, I feel very strongly about. I don't want to miss my kids growing up. So we, we, we balance it uh, different ways at different times of the year, but uh, that's, that's a constant struggle. So uh, I, I think that's cool, and, and I'm hoping that you know, students that are listening to this um, can learn a little bit from you and, and kind of see you know, there's a different way to do things um, in this industry. So to rise us all up, you've written three books. You've appeared on national TV. You're a Fort Worth legend uh, in the chef ranks in uh, this town. What's next for John Bunnell? Man, that's a tough one. We, uh, we're in our fifth season right now of TCU football. Um, the stadium is about to expand with another 1,000-person club and 20 more suites. Uh, so we're l- trying to put plans together to see how we're going to tackle that one. Um, people call every day with a new project idea, and I, I say no more often <laughs> more often than, uh, than I'd like to, but at the same time, there's only so much of me to go around, and I don't want to do a restaurant that I don't have a part in. So um, you never know. There, there's, there's always going to be another chapter. Um, for now, I think three restaurants and the TCU deal is about as busy as I can be with a, with catering business on the side, but, uh, we're, we're always talking and always listening. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in and I uh, really appreciate your time and appreciate you joining us on this first podcast. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you again to Chef John Bennell for coming onto the podcast and thank you guys for listening. If you want to keep up to date with everything we're doing, why don't you go ahead and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. On Facebook, you can find us at the Culinary School of Fort Worth. And on Instagram, you can find us at Culinary School FTW. So once again, that's Facebook. It's the Culinary School of Fort Worth. Instagram, Culinary School FTW. You can keep up to date with all of our posts. And uh, you'll see all the pictures we're doing, uh, some videos I'm putting up there, as well as any new podcasts. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.